Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The first thing that I do with clients is I tell them that we're going to go slow because there are three things that most clients do not talk about in therapy, and those are religion, politics, and sex. There's this like whole world underneath people's clothing that no one talks about. Our science in some ways is catching up with people's existences. I'm Megan McDonough, and you're listening to Scientific American Science Quickly. This is part one of a four-part fascination on the science of pleasure. In this series, we're asking what we can learn from those with marginalized experiences to get to the bottom of BDSM, find the female orgasm, and illuminate asexuality. In this episode, we'll discuss new ways to question your sexuality, according to science that draws from feminism and queer theory. But first, let's get real basic. Tell me when I say the word sex or sexuality to you, what comes up? That's Stacy Watnick, a clinical psychologist based in San Diego, California. She specializes in relationship issues and sexuality, and she's noticed certain patterns in her clients when she asks this question. First, uh, surprise that there's such a range of experiences in their body and in their mind about it. Frequently, I get some shame and discomfort. They're not sure what words they're supposed to use. Are those bad words? Little lean forward. They're sort of excited and there's some tension in wanting to tell me. Or a little lean back because they're not sure it's safe. Stacy asks her clients if they've heard of gender and orientation. They talk about the words they know. And then she brings up the zine. Zine is short for magazine. But zines are different from traditional magazines. They tend to be self-published and not typically what you'd find in an academic setting. This particular zine invites readers on a quote-unquote journey through the landscape of your sexuality. The front cover features a drawing of five people on a path leading into the horizon. Each is holding a map labeled SCT. SCT stands for Sexual Configurations Theory, a term coined by Sari Van Anders, a gender, sex, and sexuality researcher at Queen's University in Ontario. I was doing some work about multi-partnering and things like polyamory. I was at a conference where there was a session about asexuality. And I started thinking about the way these two identities claimed by different people might come together. Here's Sari, the creator of this theory. She and her team created the zine as a more accessible offshoot of her 2015 academic paper on the topic. It was the most exciting piece of work I'd ever done. I'd never really done work where it just felt like it had to come out and it was sort of bubbling out of me. I think we, we can maximize our pleasure when we understand what it is that we're wanting, what the options are, who we are. Um, we can think through some things that we might never have had prompts to do before. Oxford Languages defines sexual orientation as a person's identity in relation to the gender or genders to which they're typically attracted. Sexual configurations theory asks, what if this sort of definition is incomplete? Sari's theory basically complicates the idea that sexual orientation is only based on gender. She built it on the existing academic literature and on what people shared about their sexualities. 
And it was really important to me to include um, not just diverse sexualities and genders and people with diverse sexualities and genders, but people with marginalized experiences and so on. Such as people who are LGBTQ+, disabled, into kink or BDSM, asexual or non-monogamous. Our science in some ways is, if anything, sort of catching up with people's existences. I think many women know that, like, not all women who are attracted to men, maybe including themselves, that means they're attracted to, like, penises, or that's the thing only that turns them on. And so there's sort of an assumption that gender, sex, sexuality, or what people typically call sexual orientation, is about, like, genital matchups. Like, I have these genitals, and I'm attracted to people who have those genitals. But really, like, we rarely see people's genitals until we've already decided we're attracted to them, right? Usually there's so much else going on. Sari uses the term gender sex to mean features that are both socialized and biological, and considers it to be just one aspect of sexual orientation. You know, it's not always bodies. There's also ways of being in the world, or clothes, appearance, presentation, the way people talk, how someone treats you. And research on attraction is pretty clear that a lot of other things are rated pretty high up, like kindness or sense of humor or things like that. Sari refers to this as sexual parameter N, all the other things that make us attracted to a person. The way she visualizes these aspects is through these cone-shaped diagrams where people can pinpoint their preferences. As an example, you could think about the tornado for gender, sex, sexuality. So there's a space on top where there's a ring going around the outside that SCT calls the binary ring. This is Aki Gormizano a sexuality researcher who did his PhD with Sari at Queens. The ring he's describing represents what most people know as the sexuality spectrum. And then there's a whole space beyond that, falling inside of the binary ring, completing that circle, where you're not just thinking about women and men, you're thinking about gender, sex, diverse folks who are occupying spaces outside of that binary ring. This is called the challenge area. That circle I described is on top, but then it moves all the way down to a point, forming what kind of looks like a cone. And there's a little there's a little meter ranging from zero to 100 on the far left of that. Um, and that's to indicate the strength of your attractions. In lay terms, if gender sex was an important part of your attraction to people, you'd mark a place higher up on the tornado. If it wasn't, you'd mark a place farther down. There are also tornadoes for partner number, one, multiple, or none, as well as for sexual parameter N, representing the factors Sari mentioned, such as kindness and sense of humor. Growing up, I was like pretty uncritical of my sexuality for the most part. Like I d identified as straight by default and a lot of my attractions, you know, as a cis boy at the time or like and now cis man, um, were to cis women. In case you didn't know, cis here refers to cisgender, when a person's gender identity matches their sex assigned at birth. I had a point in high school where I realized that I did have attractions to people who were not cis girls or cis women. I think I was just like confused and upset um, and didn't really feel like it was something I could talk about, you know, especially as someone who played sports um, and was known as an athlete where that was a big piece of my identity. Like, like I played soccer all the way through and still do. I think for me, the hardest part about realizing that I had interests and attractions that didn't fit with being straight was that it challenged a lot of my identity around being a man or like wanting to be. Aki says that studying sexuality as an adult has helped him see that this isn't a problem and that sexual orientation, identity, and status don't necessarily line up perfectly. Sexual configurations theory calls this branched, 
orientations, as I said, have to do with like attractions, interests, arousals, desire, pleasure. And those might be different or they might be the same. Like you might really enjoy the thoughts or have fantasies about being with a man. And then when it comes to the actual sex you do, you find people of any gender are really enjoyable. And status refers to like what you're kind of actually doing, have done, or will do. So who you're actually with, for example. In a 27-country survey conducted by the market research company Ipsos in 2021, for example, 80% of self-identified heterosexual people reported that they were only attracted to the opposite sex, and 12% of them said they mostly were. Meanwhile, 60% of self-identified lesbian and gay people said they were only attracted to the same sex, and 24% of them said they mostly were. These branches of sexuality can all be mapped on separate tornado diagrams. If you're still struggling to picture them, you're not alone. Between gender, sex, partner number, and other factors, plus identity, orientation, and status, it's a lot. But portraying sexuality as complex is also kind of the point. To what extent do you think sexuality labels are limiting or expanding? I guess if you could imagine your ideal world of how people conceive of sexuality, would everyone have a label? I think when you just have identities and you just have labels, especially when identities and labels are really narrow, you might not have the language to articulate the ways in which you don't perfectly fit with that identity or label. And I think it, the more people who are able to understand the ways in which they might branch from their label and or like or like perfectly coincide with it, um, the more open everyone will be around, you know, just like understanding that like around each identity is like a collection of people who might vary from it in different kinds of ways. Stacy, the therapist we heard from earlier, commonly meets clients who are working through their sexualities. How do you help them kind of figure that out? Well, we kind of try labels on like clothes. I'm going to try this sort of sweater on and see, does that feel snugly? Do I feel comfortable? Is there like a resonance in my body and in my mind and my heart and my genitals all over me that this feels true? And much like the sweater I put on, I don't have to wear it all the time. There's a very flexible return policy on this kind of content. <laughs> they decide they don't want it. They don't have to keep it. Um, but we're trying it on. Let's see how it feels. Stacy first saw Sari speak at a virtual conference during the pandemic. And my whole brain lit up. The two of them have since formed a working group to bring sexual configurations theory into more clinical settings. Those of us with marginalized or minoritized or oppressed genders, sexes, or sexualities are often not given the tools from science or scholarship to make sense of ourselves. And so this can be helpful in that way. But also people who are majorities, our culture tells everyone that like, you're just a cisgender man, that's that. There's nothing more complex. The complexity is for, uh, you know, the other complicated quote unquote people. But our research finds that the majorities actually have a lot of complexity and often have had even less prompt to think about it. I'm wondering if you've had any pushback from the scientific community or otherwise. We get a fair bit of skepticism from academics that what people might call like lay people, just like people on the street could actually do SCT diagrams because they are a bit more complex than a typical like, what is your attraction? So we sometimes get people to say, this is pretty hard or I'm kind of confused. And then we're like, okay, can you describe yourself? And then we look at the dot and it matches. So people are actually able to do it anyway. And we sometimes get pushed back too from majorities who get like a little bit angry, who are like, okay, well, I can locate myself, but like, I don't believe in all these other locations. You know, they're usually seeing questions that have heterosexual first, if there's a checklist. And here it's like, you know, if you're interested in women, 
that's just one little dot in this whole diagram. And that can be a bit disorienting for people who are used to being with the center. Sari thinks that accounting for this complexity is not only helpful for individuals, but also for future scientific research. People sometimes forget that every measure we use is sort of telling a story about what the world is. They're kind of almost like a sieve that you sieve the world through. And depending on what that sieve looks like, whether it's SCT, whether it's uh, a one-word question with a checkbox or answer or something, um, it's going to let kind of different kinds of things through. What is empirical in science is to try to measure the world as it is. For Science Quickly, this is Megan McDonough. Tune in next time to listen to episode two of a four-part series on the science of pleasure. Science Quickly is produced by Tulika Bose and Jeffrey Del Vizio. This episode was reported and edited by me, Megan McDonough, with music by Dominic Smith. Subscribe to scientificamerican.com for more in-depth science news. 